comes and speaks uh, to us. The first part's from 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 17. Don't bother looking that up because that's only one verse. We're jumping around. Oh, you can actually because then we're going down to 32 and 34. Yep, so 1 Corinthians 7 is good. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17. It's the book just before 2 Corinthians. Okay, we're there. Okay, here we go. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. This is, of course, Paul speaking. Then down 1 Corinthians seven thirty-two to 34, it says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And then 1 Corinthians 7.36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. And then into John 15, verses 12 to 17, it reads this. This is, my, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, uh, good evening. Uh, particularly welcome to you if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, and this might be the first time you've actually come to a church service. Um, we may seem a bit strange and weird. We're not all strange and weird, uh, maybe sometimes. Um, but it's great to have you here with us. It's a blessing Feel free to ask questions. We hope to answer as many as we can. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it's alive and real. And we ask now that as you continue to shape us through the songs and as we hear through your word, that your spirit will speak to us, what you're saying to us, um, both individually and corporately, particularly on these topics uh, this evening. Uh, And like I've said before, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight through your wonderful Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so this evening, when I talked uh, or thought about this idea about how the cross shapes a bunch of things, I had this grand plan. And then I timed what I was going to do, and that grand plan has been shrunk. And um, that means we're actually, one of the things I was going to talk about is a marriage. And uh, I might touch on it very briefly, but most of our time is going to be spent on a, a bunch of topics. But this idea, um, the topics that we're going to be looking at, is actually quite relevant in our day and age. I know it's not going to be a surprise for some of you. Now, whether you realize it or not, uh, you are constantly being told sermons. You are preached sermons through songs, through advertisements, through a bunch of variety of uh, sources. They're constantly preaching a sermon, what it means to be single and how you need to act, what it means to be friends, particularly with the opposite sex and what that looks like, what it means to have a dating relationship or going out relationship, and what it means to be married. 
Everyone has an opinion on it, particularly in our day and age and particularly in our culture. So when you talk about singleness, um, well, there is someone who's actually made a great statement about singleness. That person is by the name of Queen Bee or Beyonce. She talks about single ladies. She talks all the single ladies, all the single ladies. And when I wrote this, I felt like dancing afterwards, but I won't do that for you. But the whole idea is about this lady who's writing a song. She's broken up from a relationship after three years. She's had enough. And she's letting this guy know she's about to have fun. She's going to be gathering all her single friends to hang out and have a bit of a party. And she makes this really uh, most prominent line that has been, everyone's been singing, even though we don't realize what the meaning of it is. It basically says, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. You should have married me. But even today, this idea of friendship has also been um, changed. What it means to have a, a friend who's of the opposite sex. But so, and, and that's coming out in culture. I don't know if you realize, back in the 50s and even earlier, friendship seemed a little bit more, um, you know, quite nice. And it was really friendly as such. One of the most uh, friendships that was so blossoming in the 50s and late earlier were things like Lassie. He was good friends with his little mate, always there to help him out. And the Aussie version was Skippy, which I found weird when I came to Australia. There was this kangaroo that was dead, obviously, but somehow was able to make these noises. But things have changed what it means about friendship. I don't know if you've noticed the recent string of movies that are coming out that change that idea of what friendship means between a girl and a guy. Such movies as this, Friends with Benefits or no strings attached. So the whole idea is about those movies are saying it's redefining what friendships are about. And whether we realize or not, it's skewing how we see friendships too. And there's this constant idea of what dating looks like or what going out looks like or if you're really old-fashioned, courting looks like. Whatever term you put on it. We hear songs constantly about it in our day and age. I think one of the most um, poignant songs of, of this generation and younger is from our good friend, the Biebs, Justin Bieber. And he sings about a song uh, called, uh, What Do You Mean? Now I'm wondering, is there any believers here? Do we have any believers? No one's, no, some couple of people are confessing. We've got a deliverance prayer ministry for you afterwards that you can come to. <laughs> but the thing is, right, Justin Bieber is singing a song about what do you mean? And you look at what do you mean and you think it through and, and you've got to listen to the words and it's quite confusing. Ultimately, as a guy, he's really, really communicating this generation in that it's confusing. When you say no, what do you mean? I know that as a dad, if that, I was the daughter, I was the father of that daughter, I'd be pulling Justin Bieber and say, when she says no, that means no. But this idea of dating is even confused. And marriage to this day is being constantly attacked. Now, I just want you to know, as Christians particularly, the idea of marriage being attacked is nothing new. It actually started in the garden when the enemy comes in, tempts and attacks that wonderful institution that is marriage between a man and a woman. So that's nothing new. But it's very rare to see even in mainstream movies today where you see a couple getting married. Usually the movie goes like this. They usually fall in love. They fall out of love. And if it's a Bollywood film, there's a dance scene somewhere in there. 
and then they fall back in love again and somehow work it out and they live heavily, heavily, happily ever after or they break up and that's it and they just move on and that's just life. One of the most romantic movies in inverted commas was The Notebook and the author said this, it was an improbable romance. He was a country boy, she was from the city. She had the wor- he was a country boy, she was from the city. She had the world at her feet and while he didn't have two dimes to rub together. but it communicates a story to all of us. But see, friends, the verses that we heard read, God actually wants to speak into all these areas of life. We need to remember that God is the one who is far more concerned about godly relationships than you realize. So God is a God of relationships. From the start, from the beginning, God has always been in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect relationship. It's glorious. And he creates mankind in his own image to be in relationship with him. And then he creates man and woman to be in relationship with each other. A perfect marriage. The devil comes, he tempts, sin invades this. And this cue of marriage and dating and relationships, it's all been corrupted. And ultimately, in every relationship, what the temptation is to make ourselves the prime position, the relationship becomes about us, not about God. But God, because of his goodness and grace, sends his son Jesus who comes and wants to restore relationships again with the most prominent relationship that's between us and the creator of the universe. But Jesus also says radical things when he's on earth. He says, forgive your enemies. Turn the other cheek. And he's about restoring relationships. And then he goes to the cross and dies and pays the ultimate price to being peace and unity in a relationship again, ultimately with the creator of the universe and with us. So Jesus steps in and then after that, that reality, because Jesus is physically raised again on the third day, anyone who turns to him, anyone who believes in him, has relationship with him and the creator of the universe, and then he sends us out to be on the mission of joining him in restoring relationships. So whether you realize this or not, how you date or go out with someone matters to Jesus. How you live your single life matters to Jesus. How you uh, conduct your married life matters to Jesus. Because all of this now is looking through the lens of the cross. It's completely changed. So the cross and singleness. Now what you're about to hear is based on some of the passages that we read, but also, uh, I guess, an older man talking to hopefully some people listening in. Now let's be honest. If you're a single person, you're looking at this really good-looking man up here. No, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, you're looking at a man up here who's married, he's got kids. And if you're a single person, your automatic reaction will be, oh, what do you know, Shubs? You're married. You've got it all. But see, I'm hoping that you hear what Jesus really cares, the stage of life you're in. Jesus understands what it means to be single. He fully understands what it means to be single. He lived it perfectly when he was here on this earth. Now, I don't know if you heard the verses that John read. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called to him. 
This is my rule to all gestures. Now, to give you a bit of the context, what's going on. So Paul, who's writing this letter to a church that's really messed up in Corinth, and he's writing this letter, he's making a statement about marriage. They've asked some questions, and he's addressing them very clearly, what God expects. And this is right, it's sort of the meat. It's the sandwich meat between the two sides of bread of loaves. And it sounds a bit strange to talk about it here. I think he's been quite deliberate about putting it there. He's saying, whatever stage of life you're in, before knowing Jesus, now you know Jesus. Be content where Jesus has you. And I think that's a good principle to have for all of us, even those of us who are single, whatever stage of life. It's a helpful reminder for us to be content in whatever life stage God has you right now. Now, single friends, I've got to be honest with you. I'm really sorry. The reason why I'm sorry is because, particularly if you've grown up in the Christian bubble and Christian church and so on, there's this idea that somehow your significance is found once you find someone to marry. That's not true. That's not what defines you. That's never what has defined you. And what Paul is saying to the people listening in and reading this is to say, be content. In other words, rest in where God has you and ultimately utilize your singleness for the glory of God. Because even though you may have this view of marriage to be up here, marriage has its perils, it has its challenges. And the verses that John read earlier in 1 Corinthians 7 says that. It says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried man or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Don't forget who's writing this letter. This is a single man. In short, when you're married, your, your focus, when you're, when you're married, uh, you have your focus on your wife and kids and you want to provide for them, love them, but sometimes it can distract you from being focused on God. And the whole idea here is Paul is saying, listen, when you're single, your focus should be more on God. So in other words, don't waste your singles, but rest where God has you. But if you have a desire to be married, you're not sinning. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong in asking God for a spouse. But don't fall in the trap, whether the culture of the world you live in or the Christian Bible that tells you that's what defines you. A boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or wife does not define you. Jesus alone. And in light of that, you learn to trust your Savior and his timing. But in light of that, you utilize your singleness for his glory. That's what you do in this single life. That's what the, uh, the Bible encourages us. Now, from there, we move into this idea of friendship. Now, when I'm talking about friendship, I'm not talking about mateship uh, or BFFs. Uh, it's not talking about uh, between a mate. I'm talking about a friendship between a guy and a girl. The verses we read from John, uh, that John read, it said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from your father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, 
he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking specifically to the people listening and his disciples in particular. And this verse is though the principle is a good idea to keep in mind. It's a good perspective to have when it comes to conducting what it means to have a friend, particularly a friend of the opposite sex. See, the friendship that is in this world and the world that we live in ultimately is really about us. That friendship is focused on us, and particularly in the world uh, that we live in. Now, I don't know if you realize, you see it often, right? When you take a photo these days, which is, I'm not saying you can't do this, you do this, I've done this. We take a photo of someone, we want to take a photo of that person in front of us, but we put our little face in front of it together. It's a selfie. And that's really changing the way that we see that it's actually, I want to be in there. And that's constantly feeding into the world that we live in. And that is a different idea of the biblical kind of friendship. The godly kind of friendship is sacrificial. It's a driven out of the reality and knowing that we are now friends with Jesus because of what he's done. We were once enemies, but in his mercy and grace, he made us friends, not just servants. We are friends with the Savior, the creator of the universe. So on this note, I want to just encourage the guys in this room. How are you being friends with girls? Are you being friends in a way that actually glorifies Jesus? Is it sacrificial? Is it loving? Are you treating them, as the Bible talks about in other New Testament letters, about treating them as sisters in Christ? I know growing up in a fairly Christian church, uh, conservative church, every girl was a potential when you were single. Everyone. When you, met number, uh, when you were 13-year-olds, you met a single girl, you're like, she could be the, she's the one I'm going to marry. I'm glad I didn't. I married someone much better. But we had this idea. And then there's this idea of flirtation. I know there might be Christian versions of it, I think. We flirt a little bit. But friends, that's not biblical. And particularly if you're a guy, your role as a guy is to treat that lady as the daughter of the Most High God. And so your friendship should center around Jesus, not on yourself. So every time you engage with a girl, have fun, definitely, but make sure you're looking out to love her and protect her and honor her as God would expect you, but as a big brother. I got to see this the other day when my son Elisha, who's a pretty quiet, chilled out little guy compared to my daughter, my daughter was playing around and there was this other kid there and this kid was sort of being a bit rough. Elisha steps in and goes, no, stop. In many ways, I'd love to see a culture of men, young men who treat our sisters in Christ, other sisters, other women in a way that honors God. So watch the way you love them, both with your words and with your actions. But that treatment is not out of guilt. It's actually driven out of a love for Jesus because Jesus has made you his friend. And in light of that, you express that same kind of love and friendship to the people around you. And girls, this also means for you, uh, does your friendship make it very clear to a guy that you are just friends? Is there any confusion in the way you act towards them? Make it very clear. We blokes are very slow. When you say to a guy, I just want to be friends, if a guy's keen on you, he'll go, that means she will eventually turn around to be the one. Be blunt, lovingly, make it clear, but be a sister to them, be an encouragement to them. 
point them to Jesus to pursue other godly men who will in, uh, invest in them. Parents, I would encourage you as well, even today, um, if you can, I'm, I'm, I feel a bit uh, hypocritical talking because I've got young kids, so I'm well aware of this. But when I look at my young ones, I'm thinking through how will I encourage them to engage with people of the opposite sex? Will I in- encourage them and train them to love them and care for them? Or will I treat them to don't touch, don't talk, don't go anywhere near them? That's not the world we live in, so encourage that. Derive out of your friendship with Jesus, and in light of that, cultivate friendships that glorify God. Now we come to this idea of dating. You can try to look for a verse about dating. You won't find it. You may even look it up in the Greek. It's not there. But the principles are there. God is very clear about it. Now, just to kind of lay your foundations, this is very important, I think, because this idea of dating is fairly modern. Uh, I don't know what you guys call it these days. When I was going out with, you know, chasing girls and stuff uh, in the 90s, it was called going out. I don't know what you call it now. It's probably changed a lot. But uh, there was a, a report done by a lady by the name of Kathleen Bogle. Uh, she wrote a report about the history of dating and courtship. And now it's obviously focused on American, but I think American culture is influencing the Australian culture quite a bit these days. Back in the 1900s and 1910, this idea of dating wasn't around. What you had to do was you would call upon someone. You'd rock up to the father's house, the parents' house. You would knock on the door, and if you fancied someone, you're interested in someone, you would say, hey, can I meet with your daughter? And you would end up dating both the father and the mother and the girl, or the older brother. They would go everywhere with you. In the 1930s, things changed again. What happened in the 90s and 20s and 30s? The invention of the car. The car comes in. Everything changes. There's modes of transportation. There's more freedom. So young people are going out to restaurants, they're going out to movies. And instead of lengthy discussions with the women's parents and her, they can go out and have fun. And so things start changing about dating. Now the 50s come in and the war comes in, in the 1940s and 50s. And so this idea of men are quite scarce. They're all being um, sent to war. So the women became less concerned about you know, the status more about survival. And so a new relationship came out called going steady. And the idea of going steady was they were committed to one person, that this was shown out. Now, if you use um, our day in language, it's kind of saying you've officially gone on Facebook these days. If you don't, if you like someone, you're not official till you make it publicly on Facebook, apparently. So this version was you would wear that person's jacket or you'd wear a ring to say that you're committed to this person. 1960s, the sexual revolution comes, the pill is introduced and things completely change again and there's a new culture. Dating's gone, going steady's gone and there's a new term called hookup, the hookup culture. And that has continued to now, the 2000s. This whole idea that relationships are open and the relationships comes more defined in your kind of sexual orientation and what you think is the right way. It's up to you hey, no one's getting hurt, let's hook up. And then you have the introductions of things like nightclubs. People go up and hook up, have one-night stands. And even today you have things like Tinder and various different platforms where you can do all of that. And ultimately dating has changed, all that idea. And in some ways I think, whether we realize or not, it's influencing the Christian world. Now, dating is not in the Bible because, according to the Bible, either you're having engaged to someone or you're married. 
There's no in-between ground. So what does that mean for us today? Because dating is real. It happens. There are people in this church who have dated one another and got married. See, if you're dating someone, what God is asking you is that you need to constantly look it through the lens of the cross. Because it, you're not there to hook up with someone. You're there to have a relationship that glorifies God. That includes your dating relationship. In 1 Corinthians 7 and 36, it says, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards a betrothed or his engaged um, fiancé, if his passions are strong, um, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. He's, Paul's saying, listen, don't burn up your passions. If you're engaged, go ahead and get married. You're not sinning. Now, that's engaged person, but the principle's the same. The whole idea is that if you're having a dating relationship or interested in a dating relationship or you are in one now, you need to ask the question, does it glorify God? That is always the number one question. Because the reality is that whether you might be thinking, yes, she's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're not having sex, but we're doing everything else in sort of close, as much as far as we can get to the line, we're not having sex. Friends, that is not the kind of Christian dating advice that God gives. Because that's not glorifying to God. God has actually designed us in a particular way. His design is both physical, there's also the emotional side and also the spiritual side. And men and women are wired differently. I'm wired differently. I get distracted by my wife often, and it's great. My wife doesn't get distracted by me at all. But if I sit down with her with a cup of tea and talk to her, she's totally distracted by me. We're wired differently. Now you add the spiritual aspect in a Christian relationship. And it's actually God's beautiful design. So if you're in a dating relationship, particularly a Christian one, you've got to be careful. If your physical is growing, the spirit, your emotional is growing, the spiritual is growing, you've got to be very careful. You're playing with fire. So some questions to ask as you think about dating, maybe even before you start dating. The first question I would encourage you to ask, is it the best time? Is it time for you to date now? Secondly, Spiritual compatibility. I know this sounds very silly, but are you spiritually compatible? I'm not talking about they go to church, you go to church, they're in a Christian school, you're in a Christian school. Do they have a faith in Jesus? The amount of times I've met um, young men and women who've talked about thinking about dating a non-Christian person. I've always encouraged and discouraged them to do so, and they have all the justifications in the world. What's driving it is they've lost sight of what's far more important, and that is their relationship with Jesus. Mum and Dad, I would encourage you to engage with your kids. Don't just set the rules, but engage with them. Ask them questions about what they think about dating, what kind of girl they want to date, what kind of guy they want to go out with, what kind of girl they want to marry, what guy they want to marry. All these kind of questions you need to ask. I'll tell you why. They're already listening to it. They're listening to it through the songs, through the movies. Through the websites, whether you realize or not, they're already accessing it. So it's better for you to counsel them through God and his word. So as you date, ultimately find your identity in Jesus. In light of that, let Jesus define everything. And that means your purpose of dating changes. It becomes about glorifying God. And if you see that it might head towards marriage, that's a good thing. And that means also in this idea of physical intimacy, you need to ask the question constantly, does your physical intimacy with your dating person, does it glorify God? 
if you're constantly asking the question, how far, you are totally asking the wrong question. That is not the question to ask. The Bible makes it very clear, particularly, don't dishonor. And ultimately, this needs to be responsible, particularly if you're a guy. Part of your responsibility in a dating relationship is to lead that lovingly, to honor the girl you date. And if she's constantly being the one that's always pulling back, constantly checking on you, telling you to slow down, all those things, you need to ask, who are you listening to? Ladies, the question to ask as well is, is your dating relationship honoring God? Recently, I was talking to someone who, they're married now, they've got kids, but we were talking about dating stuff, and they said they had a pastor of theirs that advised to them that they can do whatever they want in their relationship as long as they keep their clothes on. Can I just say to you that is the wrong advice to give? That is not God-centered or glorifying. And so if you're dating, can I encourage you, think about where your dating life is right now. If you've been dating for a long while, the way God has designed relationship is that there's that physical aspect and the attraction will grow. So be careful that you're not starting the fire too early. You're not playing with fire. So part of that is get prayer around you. Be accountable to people. Beck and I, when we started dating, we dated for three years. I wouldn't encourage encourage that for everyone, but we did. And those three years, we had five couples, godly men and women, at different stages of marriage, asking us questions, praying for us, seeing how things are going. I had a friend of mine, a good mate of mine, who would keep me accountable every week. And if you're here and you feel like you've messed up, for whatever reason, God is gracious to you. Because in this room are messed up people. There's no one here that's not perfect. God has been gracious to all of us. You can start again. We're all messes here. So, here's some things to consider as I want to get towards wrapping up. And these are just some thoughts. These are not uh, biblical stuff. This is just my personal opinion. And so you need to test it out with scripture. And this is this. When you think about uh, dating once again, guys, make sure that as you think about a girl, uh, make sure she knows Jesus. Not just by word, but actually has a relationship. And uh, this may sound silly. Ladies, if you're looking at a guy and thinking, is he worth dating and you're going out with him, is he marriage material? Here's something to consider. How does he treat his mum? I know that sounds a bit weird. The reason why I say that is she treats her with respect and with love. Might be a good chance that he'll treat you the same way. Another thing to consider, what's he like? What are they like with their finances? Not perfect, but do they have wisdom in that? Men, the girl that you're interested in, does she really know Jesus? Is she someone that you could see getting along with your family? And then also, are you both being discipled by someone? Have you got someone investing in you, encouraging you? keeping you accountable. So as you think these things through, think about what kind of person you're looking for. And especially if you're single, whether if you're a lady or a man, here's something to consider. One, I'm going to harp on this always. Are they a follower of Jesus? Two, be aware of your standards. Is your standard so high that Jesus himself couldn't meet it? Just be aware of these standards that you may have. Make sure it's gracious. Remember, they're a work in progress, but also don't sell out. 
Guys, if you're interested in a girl, be the dude and step out. Go approach them. Don't be a stalker. Go talk to them. Say hi. Let it be awkward. It's okay. Ask them out. Maybe in a group situation, step out. But if they say no, don't take it personally too much. You'll recover. You'll be fine. Don't be a stalker. That's not, I'm going to keep on saying that. <laughs> Ladies, men are slow. We're very slow on the uptake. So you might need to make it a little bit obvious to us. So let us know. I would also encourage you, if you're interested in someone, get counsel from people you trust. Hear from them. We live in a world that tells you that you just got your own opinion. That's not true. Body of Christ, you need to seek counsel. Take it easy and slowly, but don't prolong it too long. And constantly keep Jesus at the center of your singleness, your dating life, and even your marriage life. Like I said, I wasn't going to get to marriage, sadly. But one thing I want to make very clear, particularly also as we're recording this, we believe in marriage. We believe in marriage between a man and a, a woman, that it was designed by God and for God for his glory. So that means his marriage is not about the person as such. It's actually not even for selfish desires. It's actually to glorify God. And that also means that marriage ultimately should not also just distract you. It's not meant for distraction. It will happen. That's the reality. But as you continually pursue Jesus, it actually becomes a tool used by God to point people to him, both for mission and for witness. We're about to go and partake in communion now. And communion is a wonderful reminder of God's goodness and mercy shown to us. That Jesus has actually restored relationships. And that means also that this evening, as you partake in this, you don't have to find your identity in your status update. You can totally find knowing that you have identity in Jesus because he loves you, he cares for you. So in a minute, I'm going to break the bread and come when you're ready to take the bread and the grape juice. If you know Jesus, we welcome you to do that. If you don't, don't feel discouraged. Stay and just see what we're doing. But come, remember what Jesus has done. Remember that he's restored friendships, he's restored relationships, and he redefines what our identity is in, not our relationship status. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your goodness and grace. And we now partake in communion as a reminder, a reminder of your mercy, a reminder of your love, the way they've pursued our relationships. Father, I pray for those who are struggling being single for uh, however long or even newly. I pray that you'd be gracious to them, that you would give them comfort, but also continue to find their identity in you. And when you see fit, provide for them. For those of us who are dating, I pray that you would help us to rethink where things are at, and ultimately think through, is our dating relationship glorifying God? For those of us uh, who are still wrestling through it, I pray that you reveal more of yourself. For those of us married, help us to build a marriage that reflects you and your gospel and brings you glory. pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to break the bread, and we're going to um, come when you're ready to help yourself to some bread some grape juice and we'll call you back in a minute.
Um, if there's anything that's been said that um, you want clarification questions, come and chat after the service. But I'm going to invite Tim and Leah uh, with Zach and Laura to come up. That would be awesome. We're going to um, have a brief sort of discussion. Um, there's a number up. Uh, uh, that number is mine, so please don't prank call me if you're tempted to do that uh, or send me funny photos of yourself. The whole idea of that uh, is to get some discussion going. I asked these guys uh, a little while back um, to consider being on a panel, and the aim of the panel was to just uh, share a little bit about their journey. Um, so we'll see how we go. Yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Some people might not know who you are, so go. Uh, so my name's Tim. I'm married to Leah. No, sorry. I was going to say, I'm Leah, I'm married to Tim. I'm Laura. And I'm Zach, and Laura's my wife. What do you do, Zach? Uh, I work as a plumber, and um, probably the thing I that takes up most of my time is um, working for my wife and kids, so that's good. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> While you guys have the microphone, we'll start with you guys. Uh, question, how did you guys meet? And, uh, we don't want the long version, but... Uh, All right, the quick version is we met here. We met here. Yeah. Like, yeah, just... Um, singing and talking. No. <laughs> Probably through youth group, yeah? Hmm. Okay, I thought you were going to say this, but... We've got very different versions. <coughs> My... <coughs> Okay, that's that's the wrong choice. <laughs> so the whole idea was to have an elaborate whole weekend of um, romantic um, things that I was planning to do. So, because she knew it was coming up, the whole engagement thing. Um, so I'm like, because I'm not very romantic, we don't go on many dates. So if I'm going to take her out on a date, it probably means I'm going to propose to her. So had to sort of flank her a bit and, you know, fake left and go right a couple of times. So we went out to the, um, what's it called, Eureka Sky Deck uh, when it first opened. So it was all pretty, like, crazy. Um, and we were going to go out for, like, there was a restaurant at the top. We were going to go there. But she spoiled my, like, end game plan, which was the proposal on the gondola down the Yarra. And I got, like, majorly peeved. I was, like, really angry. So on the way to the Eureka, we're just fighting, like, like screaming match for, like, an hour in the car. And it wasn't going good. So she knows about the gondola on the Sunday. How do I know? Uh, so what happened? She's a really sneaky person. And she, I was trying to hide it from her, but in my attempt to hide... The eventual proposal, I ended up saving the receipt for the gondola ride on her desktop of her computer. <laughs> so she opens it up and she's like, okay, it's obviously where he's going to propose. So then on the Saturday, I called up at work and I said, I'm going to come in and surprise her with flowers dressed up in a suit. Do you mind if she leaves early? And they heard, send Laura home early. And so I'm, like, in her room, like, you know, writing a love note and stuff in a suit, and she just rocks up. I'm like, <laughs> so I get, like, a half a bottle of 
um, apple cider that was out of a liter's fridge and I think half a packet of M&M's and that's our picnic. <laughs> we, we head up to Mount Dandenong and um, we're having that. It's rubbish attempt. Um, and then I managed to get a, like the camera on the ledge of the thing and, and she didn't realize what was happening, but I pressed like timer and gave me five seconds. I ran around, nearly tripped over, got the ring out of the pocket and proposed and it took a picture of it all happening. Uh. <laughs> um, I don't know how you find that, but um, what about you guys? How'd you guys propose? Who wants to say the story? Propose or how to meet first? Uh, how'd you meet? Uh, did you hear that one? How'd you meet and how was the proposal like? Who, who? Okay. I wasn't that good, but... Um, <laughs> or elaborate. Um, no, no, uh, we... Some of you know we met um, at our hockey club um, and it wasn't at all a, a magical love at first sight moment. We were um, uh, basically, yeah, the the girls decided to verse the boys and this is about training and um, so we happened to be uh, paired up against each other and so, yeah, we introduced each other, introduced each, ourselves to each other with, you know, shinnies and Mouth guard and all sweaty and smelly and, and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> How would you propose? Okay, so um, it went slightly smoother than your version, <laughs> but <laughs> not all to plan. So uh, Leah actually went away for a month overseas. Um, so that actually gave me great time to just sort of pray and sort of think about it. And uh, if anyone knows me uh, remotely well, you might know that it take a little while to make decisions. So the, a month was a good long time for me to make up my mind. But um, but yeah, basically the day back she got um, back home from overseas, um, I took her out to the Yarra Valley and I um, had this grand plan of finding this lookout that I'd never actually been to before. And um, yeah, sure enough, we get lost amongst all these back roads and, and whatever. I end up just proposing in a back gravel road somewhere that I don't even know where it is. <laughs> so it didn't all go to plan, but it worked out okay in the end. <laughs> you said yes. You said yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Moral of the story, they said yes. So that's good. Um, so just um, some of the things I shared this uh, evening, I'm just going to echo them. So when you reflect back on your single life, on dating, um, is there anything that you would share now? Is there anything that you wish you knew then that you know now? Um, that comes to mind. Um, I was just thinking, and also what Shabu was sort of saying during his talk. I think there's uh, a lot of pressure on on young people growing up today to um, to get into a relationship and find the one. And and yeah, I think once it becomes uh, this this pressure, it becomes your focus and. Um, which is fair enough. It's it's all around us, and the world throws at you that um, marriage or or a relationship will complete you, um, and and yeah, I think that if you judge on on the outcomes of or the re- results of a lot of the world's relationships, is that it it doesn't complete you. Um, you only get completion through Jesus Christ, and um, even through our uh, marriage counselling before we got married. Um, even in the material we went through with it, with our pastor um, at the time, it, even that's had a, had a, a section where it talked about your spouse completing you, and and it was just something that um, that w- we learnt. And um, you'll know that w- when you're married, it, 
your marriage doesn't complete you, your spouse doesn't complete you, it's um, your spouse complements you, but it's ultimately Jesus Christ who completes you. Um, so I wish I had have known that being uh, single and growing up and with, with all the yeah, pressures of, of the world and, and even, you know, sometimes family throws that pressure on us. When are you getting married? When you, have you got someone? Or aunties are really good at that. Um, and it just really shouldn't be that way because our focus should be Christ. Your answer is very similar to that. Mm. <laughs> um, just some things that we've been reflecting on, it's very much the same. Zach does not satisfy me. Um, he makes... <laughs> no, I, I didn't think that one through, did I? <laughs> uh, no. You all know what I mean. <laughs> he makes me really happy, but only Jesus can complete you. Um, and that's something that the world tells you that you need is someone to complete you. Um, yeah, but only Jesus can do that. So we need to stop looking elsewhere and just look to him. Um, but something that I've really learned in the last few weeks, it was a real lesson, was part of our um, wedding vows was Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I have thought about it here and there in the last seven years, but about two weeks ago, um, we've had a whole lot of challenges lately and um, I was just a bit, I don't know, sad. And God clearly said to me, go to Psalm 34. Totally forgot about our wedding vows, but I went to it and I was like, oh my gosh, the whole of Psalm 34 is awesome. So go read it. It's amazing. But on that bit, I was like, yeah, this is what we signed up for is even in the hard times, let us magnify the Lord together. And yeah, it came, just went back to that and I was like, yep, we can do this. And instead of focusing on the problem, let's focus on how we react and how we can glorify God in trials. Oh, I'm just going to say that was an awesome answer. Um, no, it was, yeah, it's probably true. Um, now, I was going to say that um, one thing that I thought would be good to know before you get married, um, even though no matter what you say to someone before they go and do something, they're not going to like recognize that you are true in what you were saying until they actually go through like kids and marriage and buying a car and everything. Like, you know, uh, you're not going to get much sleep when you have kids. It's like, <laughs> of course I'm going to, like my kids are going to be perfect. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> all the parents laugh, all the kids are like, what's he talking about? Anyway, um, I can't remember what I was saying. Um, basically, we fight a lot. Please. But what I've realized is that um, we're getting better at that time between you've just had the fight to the time you've kissed and made up. So that time's getting shorter. So we're, we're still going to fight, but that time's getting shorter. We, so what I mean by that is uh, when we actually do fight, um, we the quicker we recognize that, oh, 
that was like the flesh, like my old self, or it was Satan throwing rocks into my shoe or like big boulders on my head. We're quickly we realize that and like, that's not who we are. We're a new creation. And then we kiss and make up. So that like, that is recognizations happening quicker, which is good. So that's my advice. You're probably going to fight when you get married, but realize who your true identity is, your new creation. And that, you know, Satan is going to try and destroy your marriage like daily. Um, cause he hates a really good, strong Christian marriage. Um, so yeah, hopefully that ramble made some sort of sense. Uh, just before we sort of wrap up, one question I want to say, ask, I guess this is not on the notes. So this is going to be, so here we go. Um, guys, so Tim and Zach, uh, when you reflect on your life and, and being married now, what kind of uh, encouragement would you give guys who are single? Um, or maybe in a dating relationship that stays, they're not married yet. And same question for the girls. First? Um, yeah, so I guess from a bloke's perspective, uh, a couple of things just come to mind. Um, I, I guess similar to what Shubs was saying during his sermon with um, what are your motives of going into the relationship? Are you trying to, uh, I guess, satisfy your own desires? Like a, as a guy, you might have, desires that you want fulfilled and are you going in being selfish or are you doing it in a godly uplifting way um wanting to glorify god in all things um and i think particularly like it is really confusing for folks and for you know girls as well like um in in shabu's sermon like talking about what you know what does dating look like today and and you know back back in years gone by it's it wasn't really something that happened you just kind of went through and got engaged and got married. And I guess I just encourage you that um, if you are wanting to, uh, I guess, pursue a woman, um, like it needs to be, in my opinion, and from what I've read in the Bible, it needs to be pointing towards marriage. And if you're not pointing that direction, then you shouldn't be going there. You, it's not for you. And um, that's hard to hear. <laughs> and it's and it's not necessarily something easy to process as a, as a single person. But... Um, you will be blessed for it. So, yeah. So you look back on your life and you think about single guys now or guys you're dating, what kind of advice would you give them? Specific, specific single guys? I would just say that if you are a red-blooded, full-on, raging male that just really wants a woman and you're single... Just be careful because you're not alone. Like majority of males are all the same and just be careful in certain situations to get self in and there's wisdom in what you do. So like, you know, in bedrooms, like should we be having this conversation out in the kitchen or should we be having it on your bed? Um, so that's a good one. <laughs> and um, the other one is just be careful if you are dating a woman um, because you might go into a relationship and then you've got all these other um, single females who you might be friends with. You've you got to start to make a bit of a segregation between, all right, this is now my girlfriend and we are together um, and then catching up with all your other girlfriends individually 
like that begins to change. Um, so just be really careful with that. Like Shabir was saying before about the flirting, it all seems nice and open and honest at the start, but yeah, it can be really damaging. Probably the only thing that I can really think of is if you don't know who you are in Jesus, then everything's going to be hard. So before you even enter a relationship, just get to know who he is and who he is to you. Because even in marriage, like if we're not fully focused on Jesus, then it becomes hard. But if we go back to, okay, I'm not going to try and serve you. I'm going to try and serve Jesus. And out of that, I will serve you because all good things will come from him. So I think a lot of the time we try and do everything in our own effort rather than using the spirit within us and really tapping into what he has done by giving us his Holy Spirit um, and living out of that. But as a single person, don't focus on just trying to find a husband or a boyfriend focus on you and then he will just come stop trying to um create someone in yourself that you're not to impress but just um i don't know be christ-like and i think the right person will come um just to follow on a little bit what uh, zach was saying about um, I don't, I'm not going to, don't know what the lingo you're talking about in terms of the, the blokes being hot blood and whatever. Um, but just following on from that, I guess girls have a responsibility to help the men in that as well. It's not just up to the men to, you know, um, watch out, you know, for their emotions. It's, it's the ladies' uh, responsibility to help the blokes out in that in terms of, um, you know, modesty, what you wear, what, how you talk, um, just, just how you are giving an impression to, to guys. Um, so that's one little bit of advice. Um, and also, uh, girls have a tendency to uh, chat amongst themselves and talk about, you know, oh, what happened on this date and whatever. And, and that, that's all great, but I'd encourage you to um, just seek really godly uh, wisdom and counsel in, just, again, what Shavu was saying in the sermon. There are so many um, wise people in the church and, and also hopefully in your family as well with with your parents. And I know that seems sort of backwards for young people to go and talk to their parents or older people, but I think we we forget as um, young people, I'm going to put myself in that younger person's shoes, but even if I'm 30, but um, <laughs> you, you kind of forget as a young person that your parents were once your age um, and they haven't been old forever and um yeah and and we we do forget that and they they walked in the in the um in the journey of dating and getting married and all that so they have really good counsel and wisdom for you so pursue um obviously biblical wisdom but um, wisdom from people around you do you want to say it? no all good all good all right round of applause for these guys <clears throat> They're going to be around as we have uh, tea and coffee in a little bit. But I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to sing one song, uh, Be Thou My Vision, uh, as we sing this last song to wrap up a night together. Uh, Would you join with us in singing?